1: Good morning, it's 8.30 on Tuesday, May 3rd. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a deep dive into the apparent leak that indicates the Supreme Court is set to overturn Roe v. Wade. Then a look at today's celebration in honor of the late Governor William Winter and his wife, Elise Winter. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A draft opinion obtained by Politico suggests the U.S. Supreme Court could be poised to overturn the landmark 1973 Roe v. Wade case that legalized abortion. The draft pertains to the Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization case, which originated as a challenge to Mississippi's 15-week abortion ban. It's unclear if the draft represents the court's final word on the matter. At this time, no other major news outlets have confirmed the authenticity of the document. Matt Steffi is a professor at the Mississippi College School of Law. He speaks with Mississippi Edition producer Rob Lane.
3: My initial reaction is shock over the leak. Uh, the leak, it's unprecedented uh, to the best of anyone's memory. It's certainly unprecedented in the, my three-decade-plus uh, time studying and teaching constitutional law. I know of no other case where this has happened, much less a case that's so closely watched that's of such monumental importance. And uh, there's a lot of speculation of where the leak came from. And truth be told, it can't come from that many sources. Uh, I doubt somebody just found it lying around and sent it into to uh, Politico. Uh, the, the, the most uh, think it probably came from a clerk and it's hard to imagine a clerk doing that without the consent of the justice for whom they work. And so this is a unprecedented event in which the court has elevated kind of the political aspects of a case that was already saturated with political aspects. Uh, Any notion that the court is an institution that sits above the fray of ordinary politics feels undercut by this, uh, by this, not so much a revelation of what we think the court is likely to do, but this advanced uh, publication of, where the court at least was with this as of February. Uh, and the question, of course, is why? Uh, and, and as that question gets continued to discuss and addressed, uh, I think that's interesting.
1: Uh, in a, on a
3: law professor's listserv, some of the early thought was, well, perhaps a progressive justice leaked this to try to alert about what was likely to happen so that they could rally it, uh, or rail against it. On the other hand, it, uh, it almost makes more sense to me that a leak would come from the other side to shore up support for perhaps a wavering vote so that a change in vote would look political, would look – but it, it just underscores the speculation, the speculative nature of any of this – As to who did it and why. Uh, I think that fact, the leak of this will resonate a long time into the
0: future. And I'm curious if you could just address Politico released this draft. Uh, They report that it is authentic. No other major outlet has been able to confirm that at the time we're speaking. But if you look through the draft, it it features sort of a rhetorical flair and a, a, a high degree of sort of uh, constitutional literacy that that I think could probably really only be attributed to Justice Alito. Would you agree? I completely
3: agree. I teach a seminar in which students uh, uh, take on the roles of particular Supreme Court justices and study their work and write opinions as if, for example, they were a clerk for that justice. And this is either an authentic opinion by Justice Alito or an amazing uh, 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 simulation of it. It feels authentic in the sense that it is written very much like uh, Justice uh, Alito would undoubtedly write The look of the document is just what you would expect a draft opinion to look like in terms of its notations on it. it, The circulation date on this is right. Uh, And so it it resonates as authentic. And presumably, Politico knows who leaked it. And that supports the authenticity of it. Uh, you, You know, presumably they have... Uh, I mean, normal journalistic practice and standards would require them to uh, to verify the source. Uh, and while I can't imagine you could just call the justice and ask the, the identity of the source, if you could identify them, uh, verify the identity of the source, that and the way the document reads, it sure seems authentic. And and there hasn't been a rush uh, of of effort as far as i know to just you know to disclaim the authenticity of it uh i don't know that the court would do that um although there's reason to think they could if they said a document purporting to come from this court has uh, been published and and you know the court cautions that no documents are are issued pre-publication. There's nothing like that. So it feels authentic. It reads authentic. Um, it. There's no obvious way in which it, it seems to be fake.
0: Let's take a step back. On what grounds, where in the Constitution did the Supreme Court back in the 1970s find sort of a right to an abortion in the Roe ruling?
3: Well, the, out of the constitutional protection of liberty, of due process given to every citizen, the same source of rights that allows parents to decide for themselves uh, whether uh, how many children to have, whether to use contraception, uh, and, and not have children at all—that uh, the. Uh, Abortion decisions were the last in a series of decisions about reproductive rights
1: centered in
3: the idea that in the United States, unlike, say, the People's Republic of China, uh, 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 parents uh, in general and women in particular had the autonomy to decide for themselves whether uh, to have a child. Uh, and once the court ruled that there was a constitutional right uh, to access to contraception free from state interference, invalidating a Connecticut law that forbade access to birth control, uh, the, the the kind of logical progression ended in Roe versus Wade. So the short answer is the Fourteenth Amendment. The longer answer is that Roe isn't. Case on reproductive freedom, but the rat, but, but the last that if uh, in the in the development of this idea that uh, a woman could choose to use birth control, a man could choose to use birth control, a couple could use, choose to use birth control uh, to uh, avoid conceiving a child. If that's a constitutionally protected right, um, particularly early in. Control, um, that uh, that have a lot of similar characteristics to abortion. There's some forms of uh, IUDs, uh, particularly back in the 70s, that uh, w- would uh, would uh, prevent an a fertilized egg from developing into a, uh, uh, an embryo and a fetus. And so, this idea of constitutional liberty of liber- uh, of Autonomy is centered in the 14th Amendment One of the interesting Features of this draft opinion Is that uh, Is its effort To say well This has everything to do with abortion And nothing to do With say the Unambiguously popular Constitutional right To access to contraception But analytically That's very hard to see If the idea is the Constitution doesn't mention reproductive freedom or abortion, so it's just not in there since it's not specifically spelled out, those same objections could be made to these other areas of reproductive freedom that are less controversial and headline-making.
0: Can you expand on that? Uh, you mentioned uh, the right to access birth control. I've also heard, and again, I'm I am no expert the way you are, but I've heard that people have mentioned uh, interracial marriage and gay marriage being sort of protected by the Supreme Court under uh, similar sort of rhetorical structures arguments.
3: Absolutely, absolutely. This there is no reason to think that this opinion is the last word in a constitutional revolution that that rolls back these protections you mentioned. Loving versus Virginia, which is often thought of as a natural outgrowth of the equal protection of the law promised by the Fourteenth Amendment, in the same way that Brown versus Board of Education forbids segregated schools and that same constitutional provision can be understood to prevent, to to avoid anti-miscegenation laws, laws against interracial marriage. The opinion itself, Loving versus Virginia, relies on the same idea of due process that under uh, that underlies uh, access to contraception and ultimately abortion. And there's no doubt that some combination of due process and equal protection do the work uh, that that uh, supports the right to gay marriage. So uh, I, I, maybe it's true because the court says it's true that there aren't five votes to roll back those constitutional rights, but that may just be an attempt to... So to, to keep the five votes aboard for now, uh, analytically, it is hard to understand the difference between the constitutional basis for any of these uh, rights. They all stem from the autonomy, uh, the liberty protected by the 14th Amendment to protect these certain decisions uh, that are enormous importance and intimacy to a person. And I think that's one of the revealing things about this draft opinion. One can imagine an opinion that says there is, and this is not what we have, right, an alternative universe in which an opinion said, reason, ruled that although there is constitutional protection for a woman's reproductive decisions, that they yield to the state's compelling interest in protecting developing human life. If that's the conclusion, then these other rights are on safer ground. But Justice Alito's invective saying that Roe was egregiously wrong 50 years ago has been egregiously long 50 for every minute of the past 50 years. Everybody uh, who uh, thinks otherwise is profoundly wrong. The Constitution says nothing about it, and we are done with it. That's very hard. If that's the, the, the reasoning, that reasoning would seem to extend to a whole lot of other areas.
0: What does this mean in Mississippi if in June or July, when a formal decision is expected, the court breaks the way it looks like it's going to break uh, and overturns Roe? What happens immediately in Mississippi in terms of abortion access and what could well be set to happen within the next, say, year? Well, I
3: think the first thing that happens is the state's one part-time abortion clinic uh, finally closes, the one part-time abortion clinic in Jackson will finally close. And I say finally, it's been under attack so long by so many creative uh, uh, legislative uh, means that that it will shut its doors. And then over the next year, uh, women of financial means, families of financial means, will have to decide whether or not to travel to another state uh, or country to gain access to abortion services. Uh, women, poor women, will decide whether or not they turn to uh, back alley practices. Abortion won't stop. Just lawful, safe abortion will stop.
0: This case has to do with Mississippi's 15-week abortion ban, so obviously that would uh, go into effect and be enforced presumably immediately. Are the legislative mechanisms already in place to completely ban abortions in Mississippi like that. If, yes. Okay.
3: Yes. Mississippi certainly has a trigger law already. And frankly, I think what we'll see in the next legislative session is a a host of uh, laws to try to find even more aggressive ways to forbid uh, women in Mississippi to access Abortion out of state, to travel to access abortion. Um, I think we may see harsher criminal penalties for doctors that perform it or assist. But I don't think this is that w- yes, we have a trigger law uh, that uh, that will uh, kick into effect once Roe is overturned. And presumably at least the Mississippi courts will uphold that law. And I think the Fifth Circuit will too, and I don't think the Supreme Court, will be eager to get into that whole business. So we will have a presumably enforceable law in the books that bans all abortions. And and but I don't think that's the end of anti abortion laws. That the same political forces that drove anti abortion laws that couldn't be enforced may draw it draw another wave uh, of the kind we've seen in Texas.
1: Matt Steffi is a professor at the Mississippi College School of Law. More Mississippi edition ahead. You're listening to MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. State and national leaders are throwing a party today in honor of the late Mississippi Governor William Winter and his wife, Elise Winter. The festivities are set to kick off shortly at the two Mississippi museums in Jackson. Spence Flatgard is president of the Board of Trustees of the State Department of Archives and History.
2: Governor Winter, you know, out in Apart from being a, a fantastic governor, he was chairman of the board of archives and history for 50 years. And so when he passed years. away, it was during COVID. And we weren't able to memorialize him the way we all wanted to. And so this is an opportunity to do that. Six months after he passed away, his wife passed away, at least winter. And so it's a chance to honor her, too. She was uh, accomplished in her own right. Uh, leader in the uh, Habitat for Humanity in, in the Jackson area and really across the state and did a number of wonderful things. So we we wanted to memorialize both of them.
1: And you didn't hear me, but I said 50 years, meaning that is such a long time to be on a board.
2: Yeah. Can you believe it? So he, he must, I don't know what age he started, but it must, maybe he started about in his late 20s or maybe 30 years old. And he loved history. I mean, he, absolutely loved it and loved Mississippi and so he started on the board and was the chairman of it and I guess he did it the, while he was you know treasurer and tax collector and governor and then afterwards and did such a good job at it that he um they let him and keep it for 50 years that's a record that I'm not going to break <laughs>
1: yeah. well that would be tough for anyone I would say uh he had a prolific career, though, as you mentioned, state tax collector, state treasurer, lieutenant governor, governor, and he shepherded the state's education reform legislation.
2: That's right. I think that's the thing maybe we all remember the most about him, and it might have been the most significant legislative achievement he had. Um, Mississippi, you know, for example, didn't have public kindergarten. Um and when he was governor, uh, it, it was still hard, and the legislature, you know, gabbled out of session and, and didn't didn't pass his reform package. And then he he did a grassroots movement, went to the state and did town meetings, and the legacies there today we have kindergarten, and and he it, it really put the focus on public education. And I think that's one of his, his greatest legacies. I think public education after he was governor. He was a fantastic ex governor and he got heavily involved in in racial reconciliation, too. I think those to be two of his his public policy legacies for Mississippi.
1: He also was appointed to President Clinton's National Advisory Board on Race, and President Clinton is going to be here to recognize him as well.
2: That's right. So when Governor Winter was governor of Mississippi, uh, the governor across the river in Arkansas was governor clinton and so they got to be close friends uh through that and of course they were both champions of public education and had the same views on that but you know more than that too they were they were close friends and their families are close friends so he wanted to to come to be part of the memorial service and is going to get to do that governor clinton became president clinton governor winter was still an advisor to him and when he sent up that commission on racial reconciliation, he appointed Governor Winter to it, and that was a passion of both president Clinton and governor governor winter so they 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 shared the same policy objectives and they were also close personal friends, so it's going to be special and I understand to have him here, and I understand President Clinton's excited about coming down to Mississippi and seeing the winter family and 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 reminiscing about his his old friend Governor Winter.
1: Spence Flatgard is president of the Board of Trustees of the Mississippi Department of Archives and History. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Stick around for a full morning of Mississippi Radio. Coming up at 9, it's Money Talks. Then at 10... It's In Legal Terms, and at 11, don't miss Southern Remedy. Find past installments of this and other Think Radio shows online at mpbonline.org. I'm Desiree Frazier. Join us tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi edition only on MPB Think Radio. Enjoy your day.